Hey, do we ever have an exciting episode for you today? Welcome to the Investor's Outlook podcast. Today, we're bringing in Jeff Davis with Bridgestone Capital. Jeff, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks so much for having me, sir. I'm looking forward to, to having a discussion with you. Me as well. It is going to be exciting. You're talking my favorite subject, real estate here. <laughs> so I love this, love this. And uh, yeah, so why don't we start off with the podcast the way I usually start off with, which is who you are, what you do, and how you got there. Yep. Uh, so I am Jeff Davis. I'm with Bridgestone Capital, and I am uh, in Houston, Texas. What I do is I buy apartment buildings. I work with a team of uh, acquisition and underwriters. Uh, and for a W-2, I work in global supply chain and logistics. So I got here by being a sales guy who just wanted to bring some uh, consistency and additional paychecks to my income. And so I began investing in real estate. Which is phenomenal. And now, from what I understand, that you're originally from New Orleans. And uh, yeah, Hurricane Katrina kind of. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Hurricane Katrina uprooted us in, in 2005. Uh, so we made our way over to Houston uh, and didn't really know anybody, didn't know anybody at all, but I found a job in logistics. And uh, that's where I built a career. And enjoyed solving problems. And that's what I do to this day. Which is awesome. Now, how did you come across real estate as an investment? Like, I mean, how did you know that was like the ticket to reaching what you wanted? Uh, so I just, I guess, reading books, right? Read Rich Dad, Poor Dad. I saw that that rental income would provide some stability. And I actually went to a weekend warrior boot camp, I call it weekend warrior boot camp. And he introduced the idea of rentals and real estate as a rental and the five streams of income that it has uh, and the different benefits. And my mind was blown. Like I was instantly sold on the idea of having a rental asset. The next day we went and he talked about apartments and I knew that day that I was going to one day buy an apartment complex. Yeah, which which is interesting because, you know what, Rich Dad, Poor Dad usually talks along the lines of, you know, buying single family homes, one rental unit at a time and, mm -hmm. and stuff like that. Now, I mean, I watched an interview that with Robert Kiyosaki where he went in with uh, Grant Cardone and Grant Cardone started talking about multifamily. And you can see Robert got so irritated. Right. Saying, well, the average person isn't going to be able to do that. I mean, in fact, I believe he disconnected him from the show like it was real bad. But uh, so right. my, where I'm going with this, it wasn't to really talk about that, but just to illustrate the point that it surprised me when you said that he talked about apartments because no, it wasn't him. It was another okay. it was another real estate boot camp that I went to. Ah, uh, right. Okay. I thought it was him because I was going to say, wait a minute. It doesn't sound like something Robert talks about. He usually talks yeah. about the one at a time. Okay. That makes more right. sense. Right. But I agree with you 100%. I love mm -hmm. multifamily. I don't believe mm -hmm. in single doors. Like if you have to buy a single family home, I mean, if it's your only thing that you can't afford, it's the only thing you can get into, right. you have to start right. somewhere, right? Mm -hmm. But when, when, at a certain point in time, you graduate from that. Right. Right. Yeah. So in, in order to scale up, in order to scale up, you start working with other members and using their skills as assets. And so my skill is deal finding, 
My partner's skill is engineering and underwriting. Uh, I have another partner whose skill is asset management, uh, which is kind of uh, an accounting type of tool uh, and, and skill. And once you're able to partner with people who have different skill sets, you really begin to scale. Absolutely. Like what's your portfolio consist of, if you don't mind me asking? Uh, most everything is in Texas. I do have some limited partnerships in Tennessee. Um, now investing in 75 units in San Antonio. That's not closed yet. And then I have several uh, general partnerships with uh, large portfolios in, in Houston. Interesting. Uh, class B. It's all Class B value add. Right, right. Now, let me ask you something. Why... Like, what was your decision based on just to stick with Texas for the most part? Like, why not expand outwards? Like, what was the attraction? Yeah, so I do have that Tennessee that I invested in. Um, and why Texas? Um, I just have a, uh, an affinity towards Texas, right? It's been so good to me since I came here with absolutely nothing. I, I came to Houston. I did not know anybody. Uh, I was actually in debt. And now I have seen so much opportunity in Texas. And I think everybody sees that opportunity here in Texas. And that's why so many people are coming here. And with such population growth, it's going to be a real driver to, uh, to income growth. And it's going to be a driver to rental demand. Absolutely. I agree with you on that rental demand part for sure. Now, let me ask you something here, right? Because the market has obviously taken a massive shift. You know, it's October 2022 and the interest rates in Canada had just gone up. I mean, usually you guys get the interest rate announcement and we follow the. In this case, for some reason, we got it first. So I mm -hmm. imagine you guys are going to get the same thing we got, which is another increase. With that mm -hmm. being said, how is it affecting the market? Like here, it's the, the buy and sells have been really hurt, but the rentals have skyrocketed. Like we're talking about list for 2000 and get 2,900. So how's it, how's it over there? Yeah. So on that side, we're still seeing strong demand, uh, but on the buy and sell, it's definitely opened up the conversation and there's less competition for deals, although there's still plenty of competition. So don't misquote me there, but, um, it's, it's more difficult to make the deals pencil out for sure with a higher, with a higher capital cost, right? Your, your, your capital stack is more expensive. And so your, your overall debt is now in the six to 7% bridge financing is much more expensive. So working off of the pro forma is more difficult. And uh, so all of these factors are making deals more difficult to, pencil out for sure uh, Absolutely. rental demand is still strong though yeah. i don't know that it's 2000 going to 2900 strong i don't know about that <laughs> yeah yeah that it's i'm not saying every single deal but there's been a couple that opened my eyes it was like wow right so it's like again let, let's be honest the uh demand for housing hasn't dropped it's the mm -hmm. affordability that has dropped Right. So people still have to move. So if you can no longer buy, what are you going to do? You're going right? to rent. <laughs> exactly, which basically increased that demand there, mm -hmm. therefore created competition. It's exactly correct. And again, into the demand, if we, if we put ourselves in the shoes of a first-time home buyer, 
six to 12 months ago, the renter who was preparing to buy their first home with a 3% interest rate and, and 10% down or even 20% down, that was a qualified home buyer. That same qualified home buyer can no longer afford the monthly payment on the same house, right? Because it's almost double. So those qualified home buyers are better than qualified renters. Those are, those are excellent renters now. Uh, and yeah. they will be until rate, rates drop and, and the home afford, affordability situation changes. For sure. Now, there's got to be several changes. I don't think it's just interest rate that's a problem. Because um, let's be honest, right? Once upon a time, I'll use the numbers here because I know them off by heart. Once upon a time, we'll even say before all this uh, craziness started, you were able to find a decent single family home for six, seven hundred thousand. And in the peak of this uh, multiple offer situation, we hit as much as 1.5, 1.6. So with that being said, now with the decline, they're still going between 1.1 and 1.3. Uh, on average, um, I would you could find some better deals. I'm just going by the median here, not necessarily that there isn't homes under a million. But where I'm going with this is that even with the decline, it is still about $300,000 more than where it started. So with that being said, sure, it doesn't create the supply. We had a supply problem all yeah. along. And, you know, whether... The prices go up or like the interest rate goes down, the prices are going to go back up. It's going to kind of be the same problem, but there's, and, and it's led by not enough housing, yep. right? Not, enough, not the availability. So do you see them solving a supply problem? Um, it's an interesting conversation, but I want to go back to your pricing. Uh, I think you just highlighted why so many people are moving to Texas. <laughs> when you were rattling off those prices, uh, our price, our, our, we still have compared to what you're, you're going through. Uh, a lot of people come into Texas and, and say, man, you know, your, your housing prices might be double what they used to be, but, it is still way more affordable to give you some perspective. Uh, we bought a house in 07, maybe 09 for 130,000. And we sold it last year. And this is a starter home neighborhood, right? And we sold it last year for uh, 220, four bedroom, two bath. It's a real clean 1980 build, right? Wow. Beautiful house renovated. And I renovated it completely head to toe. So, uh, new roof. So that's, that's Texas prices. That's Houston prices for you. Wow. Wow. You're right. Absolutely. You know what? Honestly, I might come to Texas at that price. <laughs> come on down and use the remainder of your, your cash there and you can invest in some other multifamilies, right? Yeah. It sounds funny, so, but I'm being serious. Like my, I have my house on the market right now and uh, I live in a uh, row house, right? There's four of us attached. And I'm I'm listed at 760, right? right. So, <laughs> right, and yeah. and it's so, it's been two hundred thousand dollar drop from two months ago, mm -hmm. right? So, but the point I'm getting at 760, even yeah. if I do the conversion from Canadian to American, that's still going to be a, at least five hundred thousand American, right? So you have you that entire pool, right? You've got Northeast, you've got West Coast Canadian. 
these other markets, they, they see a larger pool of, um, uh, of product here in Texas, uh, even in higher cost markets. Now, to go to your point, we're talking about a 2x price, man, from 130 to 220. And, and that's for a 1980 build. I think newer houses are not going for anything less than 300, uh, 350,000. So that's a newer product, right? Builders have a higher cost and the supply to your first question, it's going to take years for them to meet the supply. There's, there's uh, supply material shortages. There's labor challenges. I believe that's opening up now and talking with contractors um, uh, and talking with the GCs on multifamily. Uh, the subcontractors are now calling them asking if they have work. So that's a good sign that there's, the labor is loosening up materials coming from a supply chain background that is loosening up as well. And, and we should see improvements there through the end of the year and into next year, uh, which will also have a downward pressure on inflation. Right. Which is the whole goal of this, right? So I personally see the interest rate continuing and I can see it uh, continuously increasing and, and being an issue to maybe the end of 2023, beginning of 2024. But hey, I don't have a crystal ball. Increasing so. through 23? Yeah. I, I, I predict there's going to be at least another four, uh, four increases. Yeah. I'll, I'll challenge you on that. I think we've got increases through Q1. Um, about 1.5 to 2.5 to points. Uh, and then it'll flatline. And we will see a decrease by Q3 of next year, Q4. Third quarter. Latest. Yeah. Okay. Well, you know what? It's just some per- different perspectives, right? We'll see. Yeah. Yeah. Because like you never tell. I mean, I, again, you know what? I see where you're going with there. I, I figured that they wouldn't go up as much in the beginning. I thought yeah. that maybe it might slow down and then spread it out. But hey, either case, well, there's only so much they can go up anyways before it's a total destruction. I'll give you some background on where I came with that, some data. Okay. Perfect. Coming from the supply chain, logistics background, costs of shipping and costs of goods increased five to tenfold over the past 18 months. And that peak was between March and May of last year. So, what did cost, call it 3,500 a container from China to the US? got up to $30,000. So a business who typically budgeted three to $500,000 in, in international shipping costs was now in the three to 5 million, which is a significant hit. Those costs were not being translated. They were not being passed on to the consumer for a very long time up until Q2 of this year. So for many months, nine to 12 months, consumers were still enjoying record pace spending without absorbing the costs that these businesses were bearing. Once those costs were passed through the distribution networks, the consumers felt it and they stopped buying. And so that immediately come June of this year, that demand dropped by 50%. And it has consistently dropped 
until today, we're at about an 85% decline from the highs. Uh, that, that same $30,000 container is running below $5,000 now. Those reduction in costs have not passed through the distribution channels to the consumer yet, but they will. They will, they should by, by February or March of next year, where we're to that pre-pandemic cost of goods sold mark. The Fed, who works backwards, yep. will, will likely see that, and they should be making interest rate decisions, Fed policy based on that metric by, by June to September of next year. Well, that's, I love that, man. I'm a data guy. So when you have the data like that, that's, that's yeah. exactly what I resonate It's not with. a gut thing. It's just kind of how I saw it playing out from 20 to 2021 to this year. Makes total sense. Yeah. So with that being said, right, like everything that's going on, you moved to Houston, right? Like you started up everything again. You, you found a way, but you know what? Nothing comes easy, right? Like everything comes with challenges. So mm-hmm. what I'm looking for here is, and then like, what I find is that in every business and every adventure, there's that moment of fear and doubt and wonder where you ask yourself, why am I doing this? Did I yeah. even pick the right thing? And then you have that moment, which I call the aha moment, that aha moment where just something hits you, hits you right. And just say, I may not be there right now, but this is it. This shows me I'm doing the right thing. I'm where I'm supposed to be. I'm yeah. in the right direction. What was that aha moment for you? Well, I think I have those all the time, right? Yeah, there's <laughs> multiple ones. It's number one. It's multiple. I mean, when you are, uh, well, first in 2009, that was a big wake up moment that as little as I had in my 401k, it was like half wiped out, which really sucked. Um, because at the time we were riding high, everybody was high fiving. <laughs> um, and that neighbor that we had just purchased, we put 20% down, we did everything right. And investors began coming in and changing that entire market to a rental market. And they were paying cash and our neighbors were taking those offers. Um, And we did not sell. So we didn't lose anything there. But I knew my aha moment was, I want to prepare for the next recession or whatever it is to be in a position to take advantage of any decrease in prices. And uh, that's, that was a mindset shift. And then obviously going to that rental boot camp and, and learning that, you know, acquiring real estate is a key, right? Passive income, appreciation, tax benefits, selling large chunks of real estate and getting six figure checks uh, is um, an aha moment. <laughs> That's a For big sure. deal. Absolutely. Absolutely, man. Like I, I agree with that. I'm a, I'm a big time uh, believer in real estate. I'm not a uh, 401k guy. We'll, we'll call them RSPs here, mutual funds, whatever. I'm not into that. I don't believe in that stuff. And I'm not saying that it doesn't work. And I'm not saying that there's not opportunities in it. It's just one of those things I don't like to invest in stuff I don't understand or stuff that I have zero control over. With real estate, yeah, you can't control whether the market goes up or down, but you can control when you sell. And real estate never goes to zero because even if it's worth nothing, there's still a piece of land. And yeah, then, you know, exactly. we're aligned on that, right? 
we're we're exactly. very aligned on that. And and to your point, we might not be able to control the macro market, but I can control who I'm working with from a contractor, and I'm keeping the local uh, the the my funds local, right? And so I'm investing in Texas. I am investing in contractors that I know, like, and trust. Uh, I'm working with investors who want to work with me. I'm keeping property here that I can see and feel. I'm providing a clean, safe place for people to live. So I have control of my retirement and of my funds. That's what I like about it versus a 401k where I might not align with that CEO and I have no idea what kind of decisions he's making. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, but anyways, you know, I think we're aligned on that. That's that's just a one point. And again, you know, it's not an attack on anybody who's you know wants to invest in that. By all means, go ahead. Oh yeah. Right. So, with that being said, like, how do you like how do you source out deals like for you? Like when you're looking, how do you source them out? How do you find them? And where do you get the uh, capital from? The deals come from brokers. Uh, we are constantly working with brokers. Uh, I'm, I'm having right after this, I'm going to meet with a broker, um, which they've been much more open to talk here in the past few months. Uh, that dialogue has definitely opened up. We primarily target off market, right? Okay. So there's listed deals, but the brokers know what's coming down the pipeline and we try to get those pocket listings. Where do we source the capital? That's from investors. Uh, so we're constantly marketing and and trying to find investors who are interested in, in earning above average and above S&P returns and getting tax breaks. Uh, so anybody who is interested in getting into real estate, but definitely not interested in managing it, uh, we do syndications and that's how we uh, get most of our capital from bank financing and from limited partner investors. Right. Which makes sense now. Yeah, I get that. You get the investors portion and stuff, but is there, have you ever, is there ever been any kind of financing issues in terms of the deal with the banks? I mean, I'm, I'm wondering now, especially with, um, with everything that's going on and the cost of borrowing and stuff, is there uh, any, you know, negative uh, aspects to it? Aside from it's paying not, more. No, it's, it's not negative. It's prepared, right? So we were in a transaction for 300 units in, uh, it closed in July. We started it in April. It took a significant amount of time because this is right as the interest rates were becoming questionable. And that's where we were already under contract. The, the banks began to... Uh, just change, right? They wanted a higher or lower leverage. Uh, and the interest rate, it stayed pretty much the same. We were able to maintain our interest rate fixed. It was bridge fixed for three years. Uh, now the banks are offering definitely less leverage. And we're just projecting out, hey, if this is going to take 60 days to close, it will just factor in another half to three quarters of a point on the interest rate. But knowing what the bank is going to do, uh, it's not more difficult. It's just 
you better raise more money because right. your leverage is going to be higher. Okay. That makes total sense. They're, they're in the business of lending money. Uh, so it is a constant dialogue of where things are falling right now um, and understanding what they have an appetite for. Makes total sense. What would your advice be to someone who wants to get into the business but isn't sure of where to start and maybe a little bit reserved in terms of fear? Uh, there's plenty of resources, right? I mean, they can definitely call me. They could probably call you uh, and address those items of fear, right? Um, what is it specifically that they're afraid of? I would be curious. Um, there's because there's, there's tremendous case studies. There's a lot of case studies out there that that show probably address the specific item you're afraid of. Those people are just afraid of losing their money which you addressed already. It's an asset and it can't go to zero. And the benefit to real estate is that you have cash flow and appreciation and you're getting tax benefits and there's a host of other items. So I would call somebody, a friend, you can call me yourself and say, Hey, this I'm interested, but there's so much that I don't know and hammer it out. Right. I, I, for quite a while, almost a decade now. And I've done a lot of transactions of different types. Uh, and I've made mistakes and I've learned from them. And I would definitely be happy to help people avoid any type of mistakes. Right. Well, what was the biggest uh, mistake that, uh, right, like right off the bat, like your first one or your yeah. biggest one? It's funny. I was just talking about this on Tuesday. Um, because we were talking about 401k, right? And so I was able to move some funds to a self-directed IRA and was going to do a loan. This was not a tremendous amount of money, but it was going to be a hard money loan for some repairs on a house. For, uh, my inexperience cost me $8,000 because that, that particular uh, borrower, uh, and the way that I did the documentation and didn't protect myself from loss. And that was basically an $8,000 education on that deal because he, he walked. He, oh, he walked, uh, apparently was not paying the first lien holder, the hard money lender. The hard money lender foreclosed on him. I was in a second position. Don't be in a second position. And the whole thing was gone. So I, I did not know the proper steps to vet out and, and understand lean positions. I just was um, a little too aggressive on that one. So I learned how to do hard money lending the wrong way for before I learned the, the right way. Makes sense. Yeah. Awesome. With uh, that being said, I'm going to ask you a couple more questions. Then I'm going to go what I, into what I call the uh, lightning round, which is a bunch of fun questions. <laughs> Yeah, it's kind of fun. You got me thinking about that. <laughs> Maybe he <laughs> got got me upset again. Oh no! <laughs> Mental note: Never ask what's hard. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and still, I came back for more. Right? I, you know, even after that situation, I kept doing it. Yeah. Well, hey, you know what? Let, let's be honest, right? Success comes from resilience. It doesn't come from giving up the first time things go wrong. Yeah. Right. 
So, so second last question before the lightning round is how do you know you've had a successful day? I go to sleep richer than what you woke up. Well, that was very uh, simplified. Love it. <laughs> <laughs> last question is where do people find you online? Yep. Um, I, I have a white paper, uh, a good free resource that everybody can download and read if they are interested in learning more and are just a little afraid is at multifamilyadvice.com, multifamilyadvice.com. Go check it out, download it. It's free. It addresses a lot and it specifically addresses why we made the change to multifamily and all the benefits. And Get in there, give me a call and, and uh, would love to hear from you guys. Fantastic. Now, lightning round. First question, my favorite question. What's your favorite food and why? Ooh, it shifts, uh, but my, my favorite food is any type of Cajun food. Uh, you know, I'm from New Orleans. Uh, I love to cook. My, my wife hates when I say that. She says I don't do it enough. <laughs> if I love to cook, how come I'm not doing it every night? Um, but, you know, I just had a conversation with my dad this morning. We're all going on a trip for Thanksgiving and we were talking about the recipe. So there's no shortage of favorite foods. Uh, we get, we eat, we eat. Awesome. Um, favorite vacation spot. Uh, I'm going to go with the panhandle of Florida. Ah, nice. Yeah. So Destin, Pensacola, we just did a trip there this summer beautiful it was beautiful wow that's good that's good actually now um favorite i would say what was the next one it's gonna be okay so next thing is gonna be um in terms of uh favorite food favorite uh vacation spot then it's gonna be favorite book mm. yeah a good one, and it's it's hard for control freak like myself. Who not how is a good one. Um, really teaches you to to not try and do everything, but find who is awesome at something that you need done. Who not how. Who not how. Yeah, that's a, that's the first one. Never uh, come across that one. But that's that, that's really oh, try yeah. it out, man. It's a quick read, and it is a fantastic book about if you need something done, you're probably not the right person to do it. Find the person who is perfect and it's not going to happen quickly. It's, it takes time, but it'll get done much better than what you could do it. Yeah. Makes sense. Love it. And last one is going to be what, if you were given Unlimited amount of money for 48 hours, and you can spend it anywhere. But yeah, but whatever you don't spend in 48 hours will get taken back, but you keep what you spent. What would you do? Um, it would be some international traveling for sure. You know, I have five kids, so taking everybody on a plane trip somewhere exotic and coastal. Um, which would be, you know, about a 16 hour trip to the Mediterranean and staying in a cool hotel. So many of my kids are, they want to go on plane. They would love that. 
<laughs> That's phenomenal, man. Love it. Absolutely love it. Well, yeah. I want to say thank you for being on the yep. show. If you have yep. any last words or. No, man, I, I would really appreciate a conversation with anybody who's, who's listening. Multifamilyadvice.com. Get your information in there and let's schedule a call. doesn't cost anything. And we just uh, like to talk about Texas and whatever market you're in. And um, that's it. Fantastic. Thanks again for being on the show. Hey, thanks so much for having me. If you like what you saw and you want to see some more episodes, subscribe to the link below.